You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. My name is Eric Bonkowski, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. We're so glad that you've joined us for worship today. And uh, as we get started, I want to just reiterate the announcement that James made a second ago about City Church Basics. Um, We're going to do that uh, next Sunday, immediately following the service. It's a two and a half hour session and we provide dinner. So if you're relatively new to the church or you want to learn more about uh, the DNA of this church, why we do the things we do, and if you're eager to meet a few other people who are relatively new to the church, it's a great place to come. And uh, the worship guide has information of how, about how you can register for that. We'd love to see you there. So uh, as I said, my name is Eric Bonkowski. I'm a pastor here, and I was thinking this week about a story that my mom likes to tell, and this is a story from when I was in, I think, like fourth or fifth grade, kind of late elementary school, and uh, I I came home one day, or we were driving somewhere, maybe to violin practice or something like that, and um, uh, apparently I announced to my mom, I said, I'm going to get straight A's for the rest of my life. And I don't remember saying this, but to be fair, it is very much like something that I would say. Um, And and I share that with you because I grew up spending my life trying to be the greatest. And when it came to school, I succeeded pretty well. I did get all A's, at least through high school. Uh, But it wasn't just with schoolwork, it was uh, also with sports. I wanted to be the best, right? I wanted to make the team, but I didn't just want to make the team, I wanted to be a starter on the team. I wanted to make the travel team. I wanted to have the best stats of anybody on the team. I wanted to be the greatest. And then it spilled over into other areas of my life as well. It was kind of comprehensive, right? When it came to work, when I started the first job, I wanted to, whatever I was doing, my first job, I was picking blackberries. I wanted to pick blackberries faster than anyone else. I wanted to be the greatest. And here's why I share all of that. Not so that you think I'm a a total loser, which maybe you already do. But because the next step I made, I wanted to be the greatest, and I'd done pretty well at that. And so when it came to spirituality or it came to God, I said, let me do the same thing. Let me be the greatest. Let me be the best. I was involved in Young Life in high school. I wanted to be the best campaigner. I became a Young Life leader in college. I wanted to be the best Young Life leader of all the other Young Life leaders. I wanted to uh, understand the Bible better than other people did. I wanted my expression of spirituality to be deeper and fuller and better. I wanted to be the greatest. And here's the thing. I bet for most of you, maybe not all of you, but for most of you, you do too. You probably resonate with some of this story. 
And, and, and maybe it's not in every area. Maybe that's my own twisted uh, approach to being the greatest. But there's probably some area in your life where you're trying to be the greatest. You want to be the best, right? Like you're going to have the, of, of your friend group, you're going to have the, the best knowledge of the MBA, right? The most arcane knowledge of the, the, the trades and everything else. Or you're going to be the, the, the greatest uh, foodie in Richmond. You're going to know the food scene better than anyone else. Or you're going to uh, be into understanding music and the latest acts better than somebody else. You want to be the greatest. It's this deep human urge that we have. But the problem is that when we try to apply that, those skills, those habits, that muscle memory that we've acquired over years and years, when we apply that to Jesus, we get it all wrong. And, and, and the reason I share that is because the passage we're going to read today from Luke tells a story about that, where Jesus, with his disciples, they are trying to be the greatest. And he says, do you even know who I am? Do you even understand what it is I'm about? Because if you did, you'd realize that my way flips your way completely upside down completely upside down. There's a different way that I want you to live. So let's read these verses in Luke's gospel and then talk about them a little bit more. We've been uh, working our way here at City Church through Luke chapter 7 through 9, and we're almost to the end. We're going to read um, just a few verses from Luke 9 today. They're printed in your worship guide. You can follow along there as I read these out loud. I'm going to read verses 46 through 50. Here's what it says. An argument arose among them, that's Jesus' disciples, as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we acknowledge that we, um, we've come into this room from different places today, different things weighing on our minds and our hearts and so we ask that your spirit would come now and, and clear the air and push those things aside so that just for the next few minutes we could see Jesus and see him clearly. We could hear his voice speaking truth and grace and love to us and that our lives might be reoriented around Jesus and around the values of his kingdom. We pray that you would do this for our good and for the glory of of your name. Amen. So I, I want to talk today about the two things we see in this passage, which is that the disciples want to be the greatest, and they want to be in. Because I think those two realities also resonate with us, that we want to be the greatest, and we want to be in. We want to be on the inside it says in verse 46, an argument arose among them, among the disciples, as to which of them was the greatest. And uh, now, Luke doesn't tell us exactly which disciples are having this argument, but I'm pretty sure it was Peter, James, and John. 
Because just moments before, they had been up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They'd been up on the mountaintop with Jesus. And they come down, and, and they've got to be wondering. You know, the three of us got chosen by Jesus to go up to that mountain. But which of the three of us do you think is the greatest? Right? If you remember, uh, Peter was up there on the Mount of Transfiguration and, and he kind of blurts out to Jesus, hey, we should build you some tents. It's a good thing that we're here, Jesus. And if you know anything about John, again, it doesn't say this in Luke, but in John's own gospel, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so we can imagine them having this debate, which one of us is the greatest. And we can recognize this debate that the disciples are having because we have the same debate all the time too. If, if not out loud, we're having it in our heads, aren't we? as we compare ourselves to other. And, and, and then there are all the places in our lives where this conversation sort of leaks out and it becomes apparent. My favorite, and I've alluded to this before, my favorite example of it is um, wedding toasts. You guys know I love wedding toasts. But at wedding toasts, you know, the, the best man or the, the, maid, the maid or matron of honor gets up and it sounds a little, it sounds a little something like this. Um, yeah, so Courtney became my best friend forever. Um, on the first day of pre-K, when we both showed up, we had red ribbons in our hair, and she just always loved me more than anyone else. And then it goes on from there, right? <laughs> and it's a statement that essentially is screaming, I want to be her best friend. I want to be the greatest, and I want other people to know. And to be an equal opportunity employer, it, it also happens when... The guy gets up and says, well, yeah, Brody and I, we met on the first day of moving to college, and from that first weekend together, I knew that we would be best buds. I want to be the greatest. And, And it's not just in wedding toast, right? It's in your life. It's in my life. Where are the places for you? It's when you show up at work. And you want to work longer or harder or have better results, more earnings, better performance review than the person next to you. It's got to be the greatest. Or it shows up in your house, in your home life, right? Where you want to uh, be more organized and have uh, life more scheduled and make uh, better Instagram-worthy meals than the people next door. Or it shows up in your faith. You want to be um, reading the right books and um, memorizing more scripture or praying more fervently or able to talk about the nugget that you learned from scripture compared to the other person. Or, for those of you who are parents, maybe the key place it shows up is in your kids. I want to be the greatest and you're going to see that because my kids are greater than your kids. You know, when, um, when my kids were a little bit younger, a parenting refrain that my wife and I would say all the time is we would say to them, it's not a competition. 
right? Because everything, if you have multiple kids, everything becomes a competition. Who can eat their food faster? Who can tie their shoes faster? Who can do anything? Who can get dressed? Who can clean their room? And we would just say, it's not a competition. This desire to be the greatest. But there was a profound irony in me saying that to my children because the way that I approached parenting more often than not was a competition. It's built in, right? To, it starts very early on when you have a baby and they show you these growth charts and they line up and they say, your kid is in this percentile. And like, is that good? And then what kid... Uh, rolls over first? What kid walks first? What kid talks first? How are they doing in school? How are they doing in sports? We want our kids to be the greatest because we want to be the greatest. Just like the disciples. We're having this conversation and we think we keep it pretty well hidden. We think we're being so subtle about it, but it leaks out and sometimes it screams out in our lives. And if you want to know, uh, if you're still having trouble identifying what that area is for you, here's the diagnostic. What is the subject that you redirect conversations to? You might be talking to someone and you're talking about one thing, but what you really want them to know is the area that you're great in. And you'll find a way to bring that conversation around to that. Which one of us is the greatest. And then the, the other kicker in this passage that I love is the, the next verse where it says, but Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts. Ouch. It, it's, it's never a good thing when Jesus, uh, when, when the scriptures talk about Jesus knowing what people were thinking or what was going on in their hearts. When it, whenever you read that, get ready for the, the real knife in the gut. Because what he's saying here is that you wanting to be the greatest, it's rooted in your heart. That's the problem. All these outward ways that you're trying to establish your greatness, they're rooted internally in a heart that longs to be the greatest. We want to be the greatest. It's the first uh, that, that's what this first paragraph in Luke 9 is showing us. But we also want to be in. We want to be insiders. And that's what the next paragraph is about. Verse 49, John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. What I want you to understand is that this is just another type of comparison. The, the first type of comparison of being the greatest is kind of comparing yourself to each other. Others who are followers of Jesus, others in the church, others in your community. This second form of comparison is comparing yourself to people who are on the outside. Rather than drawing lines kind of who's higher, who's lower, this is drawing a circle and saying we're in and they're out. That guy's casting out demons. That seems like a pretty good thing. He's doing it in the name of Jesus. Also, good thing. But he doesn't follow with us. Right? It's drawing the lines. It's drawing a comparison to keep other people out. And here we're told that it's John who brings this up. But I think we can infer that he's speaking on behalf of all of the disciples. 
You see, the disciples want to think that they have the corner on Je- they, they have the market on Jesus cornered, that they're the true believers, that they're following him the right way, that they've been there longer, they've been more faithful, they know the right answers. They're on the inside. And don't you and I do the exact same thing? You know, the, the main way that this is betrayed, at least within Christian circles, I think, this uh, 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 trying to establish ourselves of being in, rightly in with Jesus, we do it under the guise of our constructive critiques of other Christians or of other churches. We talk about another church or another faith community and we say, yeah, but I'm not so sure about the way that they worship. I'm not so sure about the way that they preach the Bible. I'm not so sure about their theology or their community or the the causes that they support. They don't follow with us. It's drawing lines. It's drawing circles and it's saying who is in and who is out. You know, Paul in uh, Philippians, he's the the great apostle to the Gentiles, and he's writing this letter to the uh, Philippians, and um, he's heard reports that there are other people who are preaching Christ and the message of the cross and the message of the resurrection, but he's heard reports that some of them are doing it for the wrong reasons. And he says in response, He says, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He kind of dismisses these constructive uh, uh, critiques, and he says, it doesn't matter if Christ is being preached. It doesn't matter if demons are being cast out in Christ's name. That is the most important thing. Not where we have driven, uh, not where we have drawn the lines. You know, I was thinking about this, and I told our staff this uh, this week because, uh, as many of you know, I grew up in New England, and it's a different uh, spiritual climate in New England. Uh, Quite frankly, there just aren't as many people who believe. There aren't as many churches. There aren't as many uh, 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 groups of Christians. And when I was growing up in New England, if I heard about another Christian, if I knew there was another person who named the name of Jesus, I glommed on to that person. I said, can we hang out? Can we talk? But here in Richmond, what I notice a lot of times is this, uh, this critique of other Christians. Rather than a celebrating the way that they uh, worship the same Savior that we do, we draw the lines into our own little tribes. And just as it is with wanting to be the greatest, so it is with wanting to be on the inside. The outward lines that we draw, those circles of who's in and who's out, the ways that we do that externally, it's a function of our hearts. It's a function of our hearts that are desperately insecure and want to be in. We want to be known, we want to be connected. And I hear this a lot as a pastor at City Church. I I hear a lot from people where they say, I just don't feel connected. I don't feel like I'm on the inside. And, And I think it's important for me to say to you, so you know as you look around this room, if you feel that way, so does everyone else. 
I feel that way a lot of times. Right? That, that feeling of everyone's hanging out without me. That's flowing from our hearts that are insecure because we want to be in, but we're not sure we are. The disciples expressed the exact same thing. This is an old problem. This is an ancient problem. And it's something that the gospel addresses. It's something that Jesus answers. And and, and that's what I want you to see, that these two cries of our lives, I want to be the greatest, I want to be in, the gospel addresses both of them. Jesus says, first of all, you're in. And Jesus says, you're great. That's the message that he's trying to get through the heads of the disciples. They're thick skulls. They're they're stiff necks. He wants them to understand. You are in Christ. You are united to him. That's the message of the gospel. That's what faith does. That's what it means to follow after Jesus Christ. To see who he is uh, and to respond to him, immediately you become an insider. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. We talk theologically about union with Christ. That means that everything that is true of Christ becomes true of us. We are united to the Son of God himself through faith. There is no better place to be in than in Christ and you are great that's the message of the gospel now notice I didn't say you're the greatest only Jesus is the greatest he is the king he is the highest but through the gospel through your faith in Christ as you are united to him you are great And the same voice of heaven that at the transfiguration said over Jesus, this is my son, it says to you, you are my daughter. You are my son. You are my beloved. What the gospel does is it gives us a greatness that doesn't belong inherently to us, but it, it, it is ours truly. It is an alien greatness, an alien righteousness that is placed on us. And so all those fears, all those insecurities, all that crying of wanting to be great, it is answered by the truth of the gospel. You are great. You bear the name of your heavenly Father. I like to tell the story, I've uh, told it before, of a day that we were, um, it was, I think it was after a worship service, and we were having a training for anyone who's involved in the worship service. So the, the music team and the liturgy leaders and uh, some of the uh, staff of the church was here, and we were talking about what we do when we gather together. And I asked this question, I said, who's the most important? Who's the greatest person when we get together? And there was silence. And then one intrepid sound volunteer raised his hand. He says, I think it's the sound guy. He walked right into my trap. He took the bait. It was this beautiful moment. Because the point is that Jesus is the greatest. Jesus is in charge. I'm not in charge of the worship service. 
The sound guy isn't in charge of the worship service. Jesus is. And he gives his greatness to us through faith. That's how it works. And so to prove this point, to, and he has to prove this point because it's blowing the disciples' minds, Jesus conducts an object lesson, right? It says in verse 47 that he took a child and he put him beside him and he said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you is the one who is great. The kingdom of God flips upside down the kingdom of the world, the ways of the world. Greatness gets a new definition. Greatness means receiving the least. And I have to explain this a little bit because in Jesus' day, it was 2,000 years ago, it was a different time. And so as Jesus pulls a child to him, we in our culture today, we sort of revere and adore children and they're lifted up. They're very uh, significant. In Jesus' day, that wasn't the case. A child would be essentially a cipher, a valueless. Doesn't, doesn't count for anything, doesn't mean anything. So as Jesus pulls this child next to him, symbolically, he's, he's enacting this radical truth of the kingdom of God. That those that the world considers last are considered first in God's eyes. You want to be great? Go hang out with the least. Bring them to your side. Hold them to your chest. So who are those people today? It's probably less likely to be children. But it's the people that you wouldn't give a second thought of. It's the people that when you see them, you would blow right by and you just keep moving. It's the people who would have absolutely nothing to offer you. Nothing uh, for your wallet, nothing for your status, nothing for your reputation. And Jesus says, receive them. Go to them. Hold on to them. I think today it means a willingness to do the jobs that no one else wants to do. To do the tasks that don't receive any glory or honor. When I was in high school, I had the chance a couple of summers to work at a Young Life camp. And uh, I'm so grateful for the people who taught me what, what that work should be like. Because we would walk around the camp and inevitably there would be trash on the ground. And every time we saw a piece of trash, we bent over and we picked it up and we put it in the nearest trash can. My wife and I, a couple weeks ago, were at a Young Life camp. There were no kids there. But as I walked around camp, I saw trash. I bent over and I picked it up. It wasn't my job. But I had learned the truth of the kingdom. That if you want to be great... You do the jobs that no one else wants to do. You pick up trash. You hang out with the people who have nothing to offer you. That's the path to greatness, Jesus says. That's the path for followers of him. I think in the context of the church, at least city church, it means not doing the job where People see you every Sunday. 
It means when we start Sunday formation in a few weeks and we have 20 kids in the basement in the fellowship hall, it means teaching them about this Jesus, about his life and about his death and about his resurrection. No one's going to see you down there. No one wants that job. But when you receive the least, Jesus says, you're the greatest. You know, I grew up in church. I heard about Jesus through young life and high school. I knew the message. But that message finally became good news for me when I realized that Jesus didn't want me to be the greatest. He didn't need me to be the greatest. Jesus doesn't need my greatness. He doesn't need your greatness. And he never will. He just needs me and he needs you to follow after him. You know what else Jesus doesn't need? He doesn't need you to look after him by drawing the circles of who's in or who's out. He's capable. He can handle it. The world's greatness always comes from comparison. Comparing ourselves to others. Hopefully in a way where we come out on top. Did a little bit better in school, a little bit faster, a little bit stronger, a little bit better faith, a little bit more money, a little bit bigger house. Kids who are a little bit better looking than yours, right? Comparison, all these ways that the world defines greatness. Kingdom greatness, it comes from connection to Jesus Christ. Comparison versus connection. You ever heard the, uh, the phrase, comparison is the thief of joy? Did a little research this week. I didn't know where that phrase came from. It's been uh, variously and erroneously ascribed to a lot of different people. Teddy Roosevelt, C.S. Lewis, of course, Mark Twain. It's probably, it was probably Tim Keller, wasn't it? He probably said that at some point. We don't really know who said that. Comparison is the thief of joy. It's right. It's not in the Bible, but it's true. You know that from your life. You know that from all the rooms that you've walked into and you begin uh, to, to uh, measure yourself against the other people in that room and you just feel the joy sucking out of your life. Well, this passage in the Bible tells us what the opposite side of that is. Connection. Connection is the source of joy. Or to use a biblical word, abiding in John 15, Jesus says, if you abide in me, your joy will be full. It's connection. The world says, compare yourself to others, and that's the path to greatness. Jesus says, connect to me. Receive me. And that's the true path to joy. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for these stumbling and often bumbling disciples because in them we see ourselves. And uh, they struggle with the very same things that we struggle with. 
Father, we ask now today that uh, you would reorient our lives and our minds towards greatness, not a greatness of the world, but the greatness of the kingdom, and that we would discover that that is uh, gifted to us. It comes all by grace as we follow after Christ. The one who was humble and took the path to a cross in order to invite us into the glory of full life and the resurrection. We thank you for Christ, for what he's done on our behalf. We pray that you would give us the strength to follow after him today and every day. We pray this in his name. Amen.